0: Here's the question I get asked a lot these days. How can we, as in we the press, help bring the country to a common, agreed upon set of facts? I'll be honest, I don't quite know. But I was talking recently with CNN anchor Jake Tapper, and he says he landed on one partial solution to this problem during Donald Trump's first run at the presidency. Tapper says he decided to boldly call out
1: lies. In May 2016, he falsely started suggesting that Ted Cruz's father had a hand in the Kennedy assassination. I cannot believe I need to say the following, but here goes. There is no corroborated evidence that Ted Cruz's father ever met Lee Harvey Oswald, or for that matter, any other presidential assassin. We in the media- I just went on air and said now that's not an anti-Trump position or a pro Cruz position. It's a pro truth position. And I have been trying to report from that perspective since.
2: Can I, Jake? Can I ask you a question? It's Leslie Stahl.
0: Yep. Entering the conversation with Jake Tapper and me is longtime 60 Minutes correspondent Leslie Stahl. We had invited multiple accomplished broadcast journalists to hop on a video call to wrestle with questions about facts, the press and our democracy. And it became clear pretty quickly even journalists can't
2: agree on the best way forward. When you say those things, you're talking to your audience, which, you know, isn't buying Trump's line. So you're talking to people who are inclined to listen to you. You're not talking to the Fox audience.
1: First of all, that's true. But I'm not trying to appease CNN viewers or appeal to them. All you can do is tell the news and share the news and give the facts and and hope that people will just respect that.
0: Consider this. A free press is enshrined in the Constitution. It is essential to American democracy. For it to function and speak to all Americans requires an agreed-upon set of facts, but that agreement feels more elusive than ever. Today we'll take a look at how a handful of journalists are navigating that divide. From NPR, I'm Mary Louise Kelly. It's Friday, June 4th.
3: What happens to police officers who get caught stealing, lying, or tampering with evidence? Each week, we open up an internal affairs investigation that used to be secret to find out how well the police police themselves. Listen to On Our Watch, a podcast from NPR and KQED. It's Consider
0: This from NPR, and let's pick back up with that conversation I had with CNN's Jake Tapper about how the press should navigate a political climate where people are claiming multiple, starkly different versions of reality. Am I right in thinking that your show started a policy? You have a policy now, you don't put lawmakers on the air who voted to overturn the
1: election? It's not a policy. Have you put any
0: lawmakers on the air since January who voted to overturn the election?
1: No, I have not. It's more. A question, which is, if I know that you will lie about the election and vote that way, if I know you have such disdain for facts and truth that you're willing to buy all of these crazy accusations, then what else won't you lie about?
0: Aisha, jump in because you're covering this as part of the White House press corps. Also on the call with Tapper and Stahl was NPR White House correspondent Ayesha Roscoe, who spent a lot of time going back and forth with the Trump administration
4: over the truth. Are you saying no, the DNC
1: that, the DNC server that
4: it's okay for the US government to hold up aid and require a foreign government to investigate political opponents of the president? Now the D-
1: you're talking about looking forward to the next election. Even, We're talking
4: even the DNC. The DNC is still involved in this next election. Is that not?
0: Ignoring what the president or his spokespeople, the former president or his spokespeople say, is is not an option.
4: No, No, it's not. And during the Trump administration, there was this tension of trying to make sure that, yes, what he said mattered. But that doesn't mean that you had to parrot what he said unchallenged. I do think, and and one thing that I do want to say is, even when the idea that the media was being unbiased, they were coming from a certain perspective. So neutral statements like, well, the police said this, therefore it is true. That's not really a neutral statement, right? And in this moment when you have communities that even back in the you know good old days did not trust the media because they felt like they were not represented, they were not spoken to. So this is it's something that goes beyond the Trump issue, and I think if we come out of this moment and it's only focused on... Trump voters versus non Trump voters, and not looking at the fact that there were seeds of this in communities that felt like they couldn't trust the government, that they couldn't trust the media. I think you miss a whole big part of this country and where some of this distrust is coming from.
0: You're getting at something really interesting, which is it is possible to produce a news report that is absolutely accurate, but not true. Uh, Leslie, I want you to pick up on the point that Jake was making about. Who you put on air? Yeah. And do you put somebody on air who is going to lie? You had that famously contentious interview with former President Trump right
2: before the election. Do you know what you told me a long time ago when I asked why you keep saying fake media? Yeah. You said to me, I say that because I need to uh, discredit you so that when you say negative things about me, no one will believe you. I don't have to discredit you. But that's what you You've told me. You discredited yourself. And he stood up, you know, he cut it off, he walked out. I think we have enough of an interview here, Hope. Okay, that's enough. Let's go. What do you see as the value of an interview if, uh, like that? Uh,
4: let's
2: go <laughs> Wow. You know, my mind is racing around thinking no value? Is that possible? If our job is to persuade people, then we're never going to be believed or trusted. Uh, if nobody's believing us, What's our value? And we all know that even the founding fathers understood that at least in our system, having the press as a cleansing agent is vital. And so when you ask these questions, they are nearly impossible to answer. You initially asked us, can we unthread this? And my answer is, I'm not sure. Y'all are all pretty bleak. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'm <laughs> kind of <laughs> depressed, I have to say. Are a- any of you optimistic about the role that we, we the press, can play going forward?
4: I would say, I think there is a hope because these conversations are happening, people are grappling with it, and I think that is a good thing.
1: Being on a panel with Aisha and Leslie Stahl and you, Mary Louise, as somebody who's been on plenty of panels in my life and my career in which it's just five white men, Yeah, I'm optimistic. I'm looking at the screen right now, and I'm seeing you three.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. NPR White House correspondent Aisha Roscoe, CBS's Leslie Stahl, and CNN's Jake Tapper. The past year has been a news cycle like no other, from the pandemic to racial justice protests to the insurrection at the Capitol. Trying to report on all of it demands a focus on the words we in the media use to describe what's going on. In the days right after George Floyd's death, many newsrooms, including NPR, debated whether to say he had died or been killed or been murdered. And as we watched in real time as supporters of the former president broke into the Capitol building, were they
3: protesters, rioters, a mob? One thing that I want to inject into this conversation is the issue of race.
0: This is Dawn Rhodes, senior editor at Block Club Chicago. That's a nonprofit news organization dedicated to ground-level local reporting in Chicago.
3: Our language was definitely, they stormed at the Capitol and it was an attempted coup. We, we definitely used that language, understanding that I think in news media, we probably wouldn't be wrangling over this so much if the color of the people or the demographics of the people doing something like that were different.
0: There were people pointing out if these were people who appeared to be Muslim, we would be, you know, asking, should we call these terrorists? And that absolutely. was not part of the conversation. As- absolutely. Rhodes also says the long-held journalistic tradition of striving for objectivity. As a reporter,
3: it doesn't feel like the right goal in a moment like this. It's about being fair. I I think that when we start our stories from a place of understanding that that a situation is inherently unfair and it's inequitable, and that certain people here, they don't have as much opportunity to tell their story. I think that that helps us achieve a little bit of balance because we're starting from a sense of things are not balanced.
0: The last journalist we'll hear from today is struggling to figure out how much she wants to push the traditional boundaries of journalistic objectivity. Unlike the other voices you've heard, she is from this profession's next generation. She is Sherry Leong, editor-in-chief this spring at the University of Georgia's student paper, The Red and Black. We spoke about how she's approached her work this past year.
3: I had a big identity crisis, I think, which was when the Atlanta shootings happened I grew up around Atlanta, so I was very familiar with the area. I grew up in a majority Asian community, and a lot of questions about my identity as a journalist came up, especially as as we've come to find, I think I'm the first East Asian editor-in-chief at the Red and Black as well, and that experience made me realize, like, is there a possibility that journalism can be personal as much as it is news reporting? And and is there a way we can have people of these identities report on the news as, as we would see on the front page of any major news organizations, but also talk about their experiences? Because I think that's just as valuable and it, it improves the credibility of the journalists as well.
0: Sherry Leong says as editor of her college's newspaper, she faces a stream of never-ending questions about how exactly to cover the news in her community.
3: I have moments where I just I just sit there and I'm like I don't know the answer sometimes and then I think yeah that makes sense because I'm 20 years old like I, I I'm it doesn't change in your answers.
0: 50s I hate to tell you
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes no I and and like we have a very new staff this year because we've had like a record number of recruits come in and I, I'm just thinking like most of us aren't even of legal drinking age like and we're trying to cover our town and our university, and, and we're one of the primary sources of news here. So it's 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 been a lot to process. It's
0: super interesting because we have just lived through a moment where the most powerful person in the United States, the former president, was mm-hmm. uh, regularly attacking the press. Mm-hmm. And so I'm interested that people in their teens and their 20s students are flocking to it.
3: Yes, I I think we kind of grew up in an interesting time because in 2016 when Trump was elected I was also taking my first journalism class in high school and so this was kind of like our reality that we kind of entered the field into and I guess what we find is that there is a very vocal minority as well of people who don't trust the news but at the same time we have very loyal readers who are Subscribe to our newsletter, who look at our app every morning, who genuinely come to our site for answers. And, and I think it's important not to lose sight of that.
0: Do you plan a career in journalism?
3: <laughs> I hope so. I think it really comes down to a lot of us have come into this field because we want to hold our institutions accountable, and especially as an independent news organization. I think we have a lot of power in this community to make a difference, and I don't know what that will look like exactly for me. I think a lot of us are just figuring things out as they come, but I don't think this last year has dissuaded many of us from entering the field at all. If, if anything, it's given us more reason to enter and help make a change. That makes me so happy to hear.
0: (laughs) If I'm allowed to editorialize, I I will be cheering on the ranks of reinforcements. I hope so. And an update. We checked back with Sherry Leong to see how her summer plans are shaping up, and she told us she has landed an internship with Georgia Public Broadcasting, an NPR member station. So congratulations, and here's to the next generation of journalists training to tell the messy, contradictory, glorious story of this country and our democracy, figuring it out together, in real time, along with you. You're listening to Consider This from NPR. I'm Mary Louise Kelly.